Welcome to another episode of Who Says No. I am one of your hosts, Sam Quinn, and we are doing sort of an emergency episode here. We don't usually do back-to-back episodes, but LeBron James doesn't get hurt that often. So when he does, I think that warrants an emergency episode. Joining me today to talk about what the Lakers can do about this, he is USA Today and Hoops Hype um, capologist, Yossi Goslin. Yossi, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad to finally be on the show. I think this is probably one of the podcasts I'm most excited for because you are the person in the media that I talk to most about fake trades and DMs. So basically every trade we're going to talk about, we have talked out in our DMs in the past week or two. Yeah, this is going to – we've definitely been like just storing all these fake trades and – it's just we gotta we gotta actually like announce them to the public at some point in the time right. now. It would be irresponsible of us professionally to hold <laughs> on to all these things. Yeah. The other compliment I'm gonna give you is that I am the cat person for CBS, and when I have a cat question, you're the cat person that I go to. So number one, congratulations on being great at your job. I'm flattered. Number two, my other question is when you have a cat question, who do you go to? Um. Um, for the most part, I mean, I've kind of, I, I, I would ask a lot of the other cap guys like years ago, like, uh, you know, I'll, de- uh, I'll tweet at Keith Smith or Pincus, uh, Bobby Marks, not too much, but I've done it before. Now I, I don't really do that, but yeah, I, you know, talk to the, the OGs. I, I will say I've talked to Larry Kuhn in DMs a couple times, and he has always been very nice and very helpful to me. With It's always really unnecessary esoteric stuff. I remember once during the last dance, I had a question about the 1999 CBA, and I DMed him at like 3 in the morning, and he responded <laughs> immediately. Oh, so the, you know the, what? Like, the Scottie Pippen thing? Yeah, it was for the Scottie Pippen story, which, I mean, that that was some of the most unnecessary research I've ever done. Um, but it turned out to be a cool story. But the cat community I found is generally very nice and accommodating. There's no real competition of like, oh, I have to be the guy that writes this story about this contract. No, we, we all share information pretty freely. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to lie. I, I I looked up the CBA too to see the Scottie Pippen thing. I wanted to know what happened. Yeah, it was a really – I was amazed looking back on it just how absurdly different – the CBA was back then. It really was the wild, wild west. You know, I, I'm, I know, yeah. So I know the basketball CBA. I don't know any other of the sports CBAs, but you know, now NFL free agency started. And I, I'm not looking into it, but like I'll kind of see uh, on Twitter and some people discuss some of the things that the NFL is doing. And you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna say like the NBA salary cap is like easy or anything. But like compared to the NFL, it seems like a walk in the park because the NFL, they're doing some crazy stuff to like just paying players by their signing bonus so they don't count against the cap and then doing all these multi-year deals that get voided. So I don't even get that part. It's it's wild. I wonder if I'm sure the NBA at some point as it progresses, the CBA will get crazier and that'll be more fun for me, for us, I think. So I used to cover the NFL. I could live a hundred years and never understand how those contracts work. Like I, I've just, I've given up on it. I'm never going to get it. I am fortunate. The NBA CBA is not easy and there are a bunch of exceptions and a bunch of loopholes, but like once you get the hang of it and more importantly, once you learn how to search through the CBA itself and through Larry Kuhn's um, FAQ, you get the hang of it. And if you don't know something, you can figure it out pretty quickly, but enough about the cap. I'm sure we're going to do in the off season just a cap nerdery pod. But today we're going to talk about the Lakers and specifically we're going to talk about getting them some perimeter help because LeBron James is now out indefinitely with, I think it's an ankle sprain or a high ankle sprain. I don't know the designations that well, but we would assume at this point, maybe a month, six weeks, something like that. It's hard to tell for sure, but if the Lakers are going to stay afloat during this period, it would probably behoove them to get another perimeter player we both, in our DMs for weeks, have been talking about one single player as the person the Lakers should be trying to trade to get that perimeter help. I'll give you the floor. Yossi, why should the Lakers trade Montrezl Harrell? So I'm, when I say that the Lakers 
uh, should trade Harold. It's not I'm not looking at the now. We've been agreed on this like weeks before. This is us looking ahead at the playoffs. Um, so may, part of it is it looks like the Lakers are probably gonna get another center somehow. Uh, I I get you know look uh, sounds like it's between the Lakers and the Nets for Andre Drummond for example if he's bought out. And we'll find out very soon if that's the case. Uh, I don't know what other center they could get, but I, I for the playoffs, I think that let's say hypothetically that they're gonna get Drummond, then you got too many centers there uh, for the playoffs because one, uh, you know Anthony Davis is probably gonna play a lot of center in certain lineups. Uh, you, you can basically pencil in LeBron Davis, Schroeder, I'm guessing Pope, and then. The last guy in the closing lineup could be a mix between Caruso, uh, Kuzma, Markeith Morris, for example, maybe Wesley Matthews. So already from having the Anthony Davis, uh, you know, you don't need too many centers. And then uh, on a regular basis, let's say they start a, a Drummond, for example, and then they have, uh, you know, now you got Marcus on Montresero. That's I think that's, you know, someone's I feel like got to get squeezed out. I really like what Marcus has done for the Lakers. He's been very important. Part of the reason why their defense is so high, uh, the rating, their defensive rating is so high. And, you know, if you can capitalize on Harrell, get something for him now, he's having a great season, do it. And the there's a premium on wing players. Uh, you got to, you know, there's nothing wrong with having too many perimeter players. No such thing as having too many good perimeter players. Uh, or they, or uh, now that LeBron's gone, they could use another guard. So I would. This is just mainly looking ahead for the playoffs. If you can, I think if they're gonna get another center soon, might as well trade Harrell for a perimeter player or a really good guard. That's all I'm saying. I will add a couple of points. Number one, I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, the Lakers got to get rid of Marcus All. He's not athletic enough. You got to bench him." You know, like first of all, that's nonsense, and that shows a complete misunderstanding of what Marcus all brings to a team. Second of all, I feel like a lot of the concern that people have for the Lakers right now is much ado about nothing because the starting lineup with LeBron Davis, Caldwell Pope, Schroeder and Gasol was plus 14 Browner possessions. They were killing everybody. And I assume that when they have all those guys back healthy, they just have no reason to change that starting lineup. So at a bare minimum in the playoffs, you're probably playing Gasol 12 minutes at center, at least the first six of every half, maybe more, but I would think that's the baseline. Right. And after that, in the playoffs last year, Markeith Morris played a fair bit of center. You know, Anthony Davis is going to play a lot of center as well. There just aren't that minute, many minutes left over for somebody like Harrell. I've seen the argument that the Lakers can't trade Harrell because he's a clutch sports client. Well, if he's not going to play in the playoffs, that's going to hurt his value a lot. I would assume Clutch would rather send him somewhere that he's going to play 30 minutes. So we'll look into sending him somewhere that can accommodate that. And then there's the contractual situation, right? We've talked about this a bit on this show, but essentially because the Lakers only gave Montrez Harrell one guaranteed year before his player option, they can only re-sign him with non-bird rights this offseason. That means they can only offer him around $11.1 million. And if any other team offers more, there's nothing the Lakers can do he is going to presumably take that higher offer and leave. If you are going to lose a player anyway, and you have a chance to get value for him ahead of a playoff run, most of the time that's something you should consider, especially when, as we've discussed with Andre Drummond, like they have a chance to get a decent replacement for free, right? Like I don't know if Andre Drummond is better than Montrez Harrell. I think they're in the same general tier. If the Lakers are getting Drummond for free, like, at that point, Harold just kind of becomes a free chip that you can cash in for something else. So let's dive into some of these trades. We'll start with the one that you and I have talked about most. What about Terrence Ross? Now, Orlando doesn't really need a center. They obviously have Vucevic and Mo Bamba is already struggling for minutes. But you can match the salary with Harold and with Wes Matthews. Maybe you need to throw in your 2027 first round pick. That's the only Lakers first round pick that's currently tradable. But I think there's a workable framework here. The other advantage of that is that Ross is on a declining salary for the next two years. So the Lakers, who need to re-sign a bunch of players this offseason, get to save a little bit of money there. What do you think of that sort of deal? Right. So that is 
naturally the first name that came to mind just because the salary uh i you know terrence frost isn't someone that he's not look he's not like someone extremely special you know he's a good he's a good guy to have off your bench he'll get you some buckets um you know not too much different from what pope gives you right now on a good night um but, but yeah harold's the reason again if the lakers could keep Carroll, i'm sure uh they could they should but in the end that the conclusion we keep coming back to is why they should trade harold's because he's got the most tradable salary at about nine million you can do pope too but i'm a little more bullish that he's going to in the come playoff time he'll do what he he did in the playoffs and i you know, they agree did. And he also has long-term money, and I so I'm yeah, not necessarily yeah. certain that other teams are going to want to take that on. Yeah. So look, it's not. Yeah, you can. You maybe you can argue that Harrell's better than Ross, uh, but again, it's just about the positional scarcity. I think the Lakers. You, again, no such thing as having too many good perimeter players. Uh, that is someone that I really like. And yeah, the declining salary as well. That's going to help. That's that, that's definitely really attractive for the Lakers and. You know, was was Harold's player option? That's one of the upcoming ones. I'm still not sure where I'm leaning towards whether he would accept it or decline because he is playing really well, and you know, I could see him declining it. But at the same time, I'm not exactly sure he's going to get that much more than he's going to than what he's making now. So that one's really tricky. I'm not. I'm I'm not too sold that they're going to lose. That you know, he'll just automatically opt out. But then you know his non-bird, they could still give him a nice little raise that you know that I think uh, you know they're not gonna. I don't think they'll be as, at risk of losing him. I think this is going to depend on the playoffs, much like it did last year, when mm-hmm. all during the regular season we're thinking, oh, someone's gonna back up the Brinks truck for Montrezl Harrell, and then the playoffs come and his defensive issues sort of get exposed, and Jokic absolutely destroys him, and Doc plays him too much. Now, there were other factors involved there. I mean, he wasn't in shape for very justifiable reasons, right? Like, his grandma dies right before the bubble. He's not in shape. He's not mentally fully there, it seemed. Like, I'm not going to blame him for that, but he didn't have a great playoffs, and that really affected his value. Right. That's probably why he was available to the Lakers in the first place. He's been awesome during this regular season, and I don't think most people really appreciate how much better he's gotten. The counting stats are lower. He's not scoring as much. But if you watch what he's doing with the ball, like he's creating more shots for himself. His baseline jumper has been significantly better this year. Like he is genu- he is generating his own offense in a way that he just didn't last year when it's so much of it revolved around the pick and roll with Lou Williams. That partnership was so key to the Clippers bench offense. Now, a lot of the time, the Lakers just kind of give him the ball and say, work, create your own shot. That's valuable. But if he gets to the playoffs and he's playing 12 minutes a night, yeah, you could argue that he's not going to get any more than the mid-level, and it would make sense for him to just re-sign with the Lakers or pick up his option. When the Lakers signed Harrell, the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, I really liked the signing mainly because the Lakers last year relied really heavily on LeBron and Davis to play every game and help them win regular season games. And, you know, then they, the playoffs happened. They won the championship. Now they have a very they had that very uh, short break. And, you know, one of the biggest fears was that what if LeBron and Davis gets hurt? Well, that's why they got Harrell. One of the benefits of Harrell is that coming off the bench, he'll he feasts on opposing benches and really help. I think he's a big part of why the Lakers are up in the standings the way they are. So, you know, they can I can see why they would want to keep him now if they feel that he's going to continue to help them stay up in the standings, which is very important at this point. Because uh, without LeBron and Davis, who knows what's going to happen over the next month or so. But then you talk about well, how well will he do in the playoffs? Well, you know, in that case, you build up a pretty good case where you explain all his how well he's playing now, how he's improved. If the Lakers are a little afraid that maybe it's not going to translate as well in the playoffs, then this is definitely a sell high moment. So they can either direction. I don't think it really, uh, you know, changes the Lakers' faith too significantly. I just think, you know, I'd rather have – I just like perimeter players more for the playoffs. I agree. In general, I think it, teams that are really heavily invested in big men 
aside from the super duper star guys, right? Like, if you have Anthony yeah. Davis, you're fine. And you also, also one more thing, like, I'm sure the Lakers will also get, like, another third center. Like, like uh, yes. you know, Damon, Damian Jones, uh, they're not going to re-sign him right now. He could, you know, a guy like him could also come back. So, you know, they can have Gasol, whoever, uh, Harrell, or whoever their other main center could be. And then, you know, another guy like Jones. So they'll be care? they'll be pretty loaded. Do you care about their seeding at all? Because quietly, like, they entered yesterday in sole possession of the second seed. When you're going to play maybe a couple weeks or a month without LeBron or AD, you're going to slip. And they have a very hard schedule coming up. They play basically every contender at some point in the next month. They're playing Phoenix today. They have um, the Bucks coming up. They have the Clippers coming up. They have two against the Jazz later in April. Like, they're playing everybody in the next month. There's a good chance they could slip. They had a four-game lead over the Spurs in number seven, and they had, I think, a six-game lead over Dallas in number eight. Now, Dallas looks very good, and, you know, they're really charging on. Is there any part of you that's worried about the play-in? Because if there is, that is the one reason to hesitate on trading Harrell. If you think you need Harrell just to stay in the top six, okay, I can get that. But if you feel comfortable that you're still going to be a real playoff team, that's when you have to really start thinking about we're building for the playoffs. Right. Uh, I uh, just my gut tells me that I wouldn't think that whatever's going to happen over the next month. I don't I don't think they're going to I have a hard time thinking that they're going to go as low as the plane because then that would mean that, you know, not only. okay, so, you know, maybe Portland and Denver pass them. I'm looking at the standings right now, but that, that would also mean that San Antonio and Dallas would be over them. I don't know, or you know, and then Golden State and Memphis would—they'd be in the mix with them. I don't know if they're gonna go that low. I could see them, you know, they'll—they could take a little tumble. Maybe they drop to like fourth or fifth place, maybe sixth place. Um, I think I don't, six is the logical floor. Sorry, say that again. I think six is the logical floor here. I don't think they're gonna yeah. be further. So if they're just above the plan, then that's very manageable. And then you know the three seed. Uh, could be someone like Denver or uh, Portland, maybe the Clippers. Ideally, I'd want to avoid the Jazz and Suns in the first round. Um, if anything lower than that, maybe I'll start to be a little concerned in the six seed. But you know, let's. My feeling is that you know, if they do dip, they'll probably hit like the six seed. But then once they get healthy, I feel like they're gonna close at around the three or four seed that makes sense but i think the way more fun scenario here is imagine if we got the battle of la in the first round okay so all right let's fine uh okay if the lakers get to the first round they play utah um they're not gonna dip low like utah utah is not falling lower than two if if it is utah i'd be a little concerned the thing was phoenix i saw like so now they are the there's like statistically, I think the best team in the league, like net rating wise. And I really like their style for the playoffs because they play really slow. They have a good half court game. That is playoff style basketball. But Chris Paul is the only guy on that team that has real playoff experience. I think maybe after that, it's like Dario Saric for one year. So if they're playing just because of the lack of experience, I think that's really going to hurt the Suns in a potential uh, series against one of the top four teams. Uh, in the first round, I'd probably take the Lakers for sure. So my other reason that I really like the Suns in the playoffs is that they draw the fewest free throws in the NBA, and that's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like, why would you like a team for not getting to the line? Well, free throws go down in the playoffs. So if you're not reliant on getting to the line, if you're not reliant on whistles for offense— then your offense is probably going to dip less than other teams. And since they're playing so slow as it is, as you mentioned, they're not super reliant on transition either. Like mm-hmm. they're going to be able to translate really easily and do most of the same things that they're already right. doing when no, they get I, to the playoffs. The theory is there that I'm, I'm totally with you, but I, I, none of these guys have ever played in the playoffs. So that's all that really like all of them, none of them. I Especially can't. when you're staring down LeBron James, like it's it's one thing if like you get to the first round as a number two seed and it's like, oh, we get a round to warm up against, you know, this not great team, this seven seed. If you're in round one and on the other side is like freaking LeBron, like 
no, no, there's no grace period. Like, you've got to be there now. Yeah, I'm, I'm really worried for the Suns that if they play the Lakers, for example, that some of their starters are just, they're not going to be ready for the, for at all. Like, I don't know how Aiden's going to do in his first playoff series. Um, I think Booker should be fine, but then, um, I don't know. It's kind of, I'm, I'm afraid for, I just, I'm not saying they're going to do horrible, like they're going to get swept or anything, but I just don't think they're, they're conditioned to win a playoff series versus the Lakers. I think that's a very fair statement to say. <laughs> this is my other Suns, bit of Suns skepticism, and then we can get back to the trades, is the Dario Saric at center lineups are really driving a lot of their net rating success. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, like, they've been awesome. They have been everything you'd want out of a modern bench lineup. Like, they're killing teams. You're not going to get away with Dario Saric at center against Anthony Davis. Like, disabuse yourselves of, the, of those notions right now. If you try that, you are going to get killed. And I think the really instructive moment was they were playing Denver. I think it was the second game of a two-game set. And in the fourth quarter, Aiton got ejected. And they couldn't go with Saric against Jokic. So they put in Frank Kaminsky. And Jokic just, like, flambate him for, like, the last minute or so of regulation and all throughout overtime. If that's what's going to happen against Anthony Davis, you have a serious problem. But... Back off. Yeah. Let's get oh, back. Wait, let me let me throw this at you then about the Suns because I'm very I am very concerned about their center play for the playoffs and I agree with you on Sarge possibly probably being ineffective against the Lakers. What if Lamarcus Aldridge gets bought out and he joins the Suns? How much do you really think Lamarcus Aldridge has left in the tank? Well, I'm not saying he's gonna like play over Aiden or anything like that or take away minutes from Sarge, but just because of the he, you know, Aldridge. What is he's he's a little slower. He but he can shoot a little bit. I I he wants to post up still a little. I think he his style can fit really well with the Suns and playing with Chris Paul can really help him too. I agree. I think he would be helpful there. But if the question is, what can you do to defend Anthony Davis? Oh no, I'm not, I'm not right answer. No. I, I not, uh, no, that's not going to help with that. But I'm wondering if you're a little more confident. Uh, and do you think maybe it boosts him a couple wins? Yeah, I think that would be a good signing. If I yeah. had to guess, though, I think he's going to end up in Miami. Okay. So back to the Lakers and back to Harold Trades. The other thing I really like about Terrence Ross is that if you look at this Lakers roster, there isn't that really consistent, steady, like, third guy who's going to give you 20 points a game. But Schroeder has games where he scores 30. And Kuzma's games where he gets super hot and he scores 25-30. And Terrence Ross has games like that, too. So last year, we all had these questions of, oh, who's going to be the third scorer for the Lakers? And it turned out to sort of be a by-committee thing, right? Where, like, sometimes Rondo would have those games. Sometimes Kuzma would. Avery Bradley did a couple times in the regular season before he left and didn't come back for the bubble. You know, like, KCP had a bunch of those games late in the playoffs, too. And that's one of the big reasons they won the championship. I like the idea of having high upside scores because if you have three or four of them on the roster, you can assume that one of them is going to pop every night. Yeah. No, I, I kind of forgot about that. That's true. I just You have another guy who can potentially be that wild card 20-point scorer. Ross can definitely just, you know, you're not, he's not going to give it every night, but he, if he gives it on the right night, the Lakers should win. And we saw this a little bit during that stretch that Orlando had without basically any point guards when Cole Anthony was hurt and Markel Fultz obviously is out for the year. And the Magic really couldn't do anything on offense except, like, throw it into Vucevic. During that period, Ross played, like, a little bit of point guard. And I'm not going to say it went particularly well, but it would be nice during this stretch if the Lakers had another guy who could, like, initiate offense a little bit and dribble and run a pick and roll now, I'm looking at this from the Orlando end. Is this enough, right? Because the, the Magic probably don't want Harrell. Is a 2027 first-round pick enough to get it done for them? Yeah, I wouldn't do that if I'm the Lakers, though. I think that's uh, the the whole mystery of what are the Lakers going to be six years from now. I think that's very valuable to many, many teams. And I wouldn't offer that for... Um, for Ross, um, I, I would try to make it a three-way. Try to find a team that has interest in Harrell and would, is interested in resigning him and would give up some value for him. And then whatever that is, send that over to Orlando. 
So I think that's a nice launching point into it. The team that is probably likeliest to sign Harrell in free agency if he declines his option. And that's the Charlotte Hornets, who very badly need a center because right now Cody Zeller is their starting center. And I use that term only in the technical sense and that they are starting Cody Zeller at center. He is not a starting caliber center anymore. So they were interested in Harrell in the offseason. They even outbid the Lakers financially, but Harrell wanted to be a Laker, so he was a Laker. I think the Hornets are a lot more desirable now that LaMelo Ball is the best young point guard in 30 years. So let's look at the Hornets. I don't see an obvious trade chip in there because a second-round pick is not enough. A first-round pick is probably too much unless you really heavily protect it. Who is the player that the Hornets might give up to get Harrell? To the Lakers or in a, this hypothetical in a three-way? I think Malik Monk is the easiest, like, theoretical person there because yeah. there's such a crowded backcourt right now. LaMelo and Rozier are the starters for the future, and Devontae Graham is probably ahead of Monk in the long-term sense. So if you can cash in Monk, maybe that's a way to make it work. Yeah, the, the thing was Monk, uh, so the Cornets, I think I have them at around 20-something mil in cap space, but that doesn't include Monk. That would be if they uh, let him go, renounce his uh, cap hold. Uh, but And, you know, they could uh, bring back Devontae Graham after. So if you're, if the Hornets, you know, they want, if they have plans to use their cap space, which means that Monk's not going to be in the picture, then it wouldn't make sense for them to trade him now. But are you saying to send Monk to Orlando in this hypothetical three-way? Yes, I, I think okay. the Magic could use Monk. I mean, clearly they have right. so little perimeter. I just needed the clarification. Yeah, and that, and that, I, I think that makes sense for all three teams. How valuable do you you really value that 2027 Lakers first rounder? I personally don't, just from from two reasons. First, if you have a chance to win the championship, I'm just of the opinion that you go all in, even if you've already won one, right? Like, I just think there is no tomorrow, and the Nets thought that way with Harden, and it's so far paid off. The other reason is. This is the Lakers we're talking about, right? Like, if they're not good in 2024, they'll have max cap space again in 2026, and we'll start the dance all over again. So, personally, I don't yeah. buy it very highly, but I see what you're getting at. I see why you value it much more than I would. It, it's not so much that I think the Lakers are going to be in a bad place or anything. I'm pretty sure Anthony Davis will still be there, but that one, that's their only draft pick that they can trade right now. Uh, until the next year, league year rolls over, and you know maybe they could not. Well, no, they'll still only be able to trade one. <laughs> but um, uh, but also I still like just the mystery. I don't think teams should be trading te- uh, picks that far out. Obviously, there's a bunch that have been doing it, trading their furthest out pick recently. So I mean, it's not so bad if everyone else is doing it, but. Uh, while the Lakers have it, I would just aim for a little more. I'm not opposed to trading it. I'm not, and I don't necessarily think that it's gonna. If they keep it, it's gonna be a lottery pick or anything. I just would aim. I would probably aim a lot higher than Terrence Ross. I would probably aim for like a really good starter with that pick. That's a nice way to dovetail into the next guy we want to talk about, who has not been a very good starter for particularly long, but right now he's averaging almost 20 points a game, shooting 45% on threes. And the intel right now is that he's likely to be traded because he has a player option that he's likely to decline. That's Norm Powell. Let's talk Norm Powell because I think he would be my absolute favorite Laker addition. The Raptors are incentivized to make a deal because if they want to use Mac, they want to use their cap space this offseason, they can't have Ross um, or they can't have Powell rather clogging up their cap space. So what's the deal here? Would Harrell in the first make sense for Powell? Do you think there's another formulation for the Lakers that makes sense? Uh, that is, I think the Lakers need to get a little something back. I really like Norman, and I I would I like him a lot more than Harold. But the Harold and the pick, I think the Lakers need to get a little something back. But what that is, I don't know. That kind of complicates it. What about um, um, Harold and Taylor Horton Tucker instead of the pick? Uh, I still. Uh, the issue is oh. it's hard for the Lakers to get much back because they have so little room under the hard cap, especially if you're doing a two-for-one trade, right? Like, mm-hmm. at that point, you're not only – if you're making an even trade but it's a two-for-one, you're essentially giving up a roster spot in terms of the minimum right. salary. So they, oh, yeah. it's very hard for them to get, get anything back, maybe a second rounder. But 
I don't think Toronto is eager to give up any picks to get off of Norm Powell. Look, if yeah, I I don't. It's definitely not something that the Lakers should are going to lose sleep over if if that's the if that's the offer. You know, I'm sure they they value Taylor very high, but uh, I like I do like that actually. I think I would. I'm leaning towards yeah, a, a little reluctantly. I think yeah, cause just because Lakers need to get a little something else back. But okay, fine, a second round. I think I would do that personally. Um, one other thing regarding Taylor is that he is going to be restricted and he is actually very valuable for a team like the Raptors that are under the cap because so they are projected to have you know somewhere between like 25 to 30 uh in cap space uh if assuming Powell opts out but I'm guessing they're going to keep Chris Boucher I've got them at roughly 25 mil which is a good amount I don't know what they're going to try to do with it who they want to pursue but seems like cap space is the plan, and if since that means Norman's going to opt out, which he probably will anyways, uh, yeah, might as well get something for him now. And Talon, he's got that very low minimum cap hold, so what the Raptors could do is go after whoever they want with their cap space this upcoming summer, and then once they're at the cap, they can go over to re-sign Talon to whatever he might, uh, whatever he's going to command. So I could see why the Raptors would really like Talon uh, for Norman, just another a young guy, but also helps with their uh, with their salary cap situation. The other benefit to re-signing or getting Horton Tucker's um, bird rights for them is that most teams, or not most teams, right, the Lakers specifically, are in a really dangerous position due to the Gilbert Arenas provision, where they can keep him. But if somebody signs Horton Tucker to an expensive enough offer sheet, it might get really expensive on the back end because the way that the Gilbert Arenas provision works is that it limits what teams can pay in the first two years. But then in the back two years, it really balloons into like whatever it is that the guy would have made. So like I believe his max is something like $80 million. And the way that would be formatted would be $10 million in the first, $10 million in the second, $30 million in the third, $30 million in the fourth. That could be really dangerous for the Lakers, but because the Raptors are a cap space team, they could choose to organize that as the average of the four years and not take that huge hit on the back end if they wanted to, right? And they might not want to. I mean, it would depend on a variety of different factors. And if somebody's giving Horton Tucker that huge offer sheet, you know, maybe that cuts into their cap space plans and maybe they can't you know, feasibly resign him, but... Oh, yeah. You know, you're right, because if someone just offers it and they haven't used their cap space, it actually occupies their cap space right. uh, during so the offer. So they would have right. to be... They would have to be very much, like, in lockstep with Clutch yeah. and that. And by the way... Yeah, they're going to want to get... They're going to want to just, like, tell them, all right, we'll give you the max, whatever we can offer, which is, like, uh, the early bird max. Yeah, and, you know, I don't... I. I'm skeptical another team's really going to go crazy giving him some really uh, toxic uh, poison-pilled offer that based on uh, a preseason game essentially. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's going to get like that, but I could see it. but if the Raptors, you know, if they were to get him and they or the like, you know, whoever has him, they offer him the maximum the the early bird max that he can get, uh, then you know, you can have that agreement uh, just agreed upon, then let them do their cap space thing and then just re-sign them after to that amount. That is the ideal for Toronto if they're getting Horton Tucker. And I feel like Horton Tucker is exactly the sort of player that they really like, right? Like the very athletic young guy that they can teach how to shoot and sort of mold, like sort of reminds me a little bit of like a smaller Siakam in that sense. Super long would fit into their defense. I, I like that. I don't know that they would want to give up somebody give up somebody's valuable as Powell for a player that they would have to re-sign so quickly, right? Like when we talk about Kyle Lowry trades, a name that comes up often is Tyrese Maxey from the perspective of you'd have him cost controlled for three extra years beyond this one. That could get pricey for Toronto, but I like that fit if they really are hell bent on getting off of Norm Powell before free agency and Norm Powell for the Lakers. If he keeps this up, like, man, that's about as perfect an addition as you can get. If you give LeBron a 45% three-point shooter who can actually dribble and defend, like, oh boy, that's a third star right there. Yeah, just also, though, I don't know what the Lakers, if they're going to have, like, a a budget as far as how much into the tax they want to spend. But 
you know, Talon, a lot of, like, I made a projection where maybe he actually gets the whole early bird max. That would be sort of at 10 and a half. Well, if they get Powell, I think he's easily going to get like 20 mil. That's double right there. That So that's the other thing to keep in mind. If they get Powell, next year's roster is, is going to be even more expensive than already projected. I hate to say this, but the way around that is maybe you let Alex Caruso walk. Again, I hate to say that, but if you have to save money for somebody as good as Norm Powell, I think that's the solution. I don't, I don't know what the solution is, also, because we got to see what happens with Schroeder, how much he's going to get. Uh, it's weird that it, it's, it's, it's going to be very fascinating to see who they pay and how much. So I've written pretty extensively about the Schroeder extension. Right now, he's eligible for four years, eighty-three million. He has not signed it yet, and that means one of two things. Either the Lakers have not offered that much, and maybe they haven't. I personally think if you could get him locked up for $20 million a year, you should probably do it. Or they have offered that much, and he has said no because he thinks he can get more in the offseason when he's not limited by in-season extension rules. Man, if, if Schroeder thinks he's getting more than $20 million a year, I don't know if he's right or wrong, but like that could get very expensive for the Lakers, especially mm-hmm. in an offseason with very little talent on the free agent market, at least at the star level, and a ton of cap space, like, yeah. somebody else might get desperate and offer him $25 million a year. Well, I'm thinking two things regarding what might be going on there. One, maybe, and this is just a theory, maybe they've only offered him two years. And the reasoning behind that is that the Lakers, uh, they, they, have LeBron, they gave LeBron that extension. He comes off the books in 2023. And when he comes off the books, that's going to be their next chance at max cap space, even with Anthony Davis getting his max. So I'm thinking maybe it's possible they only offered him the two year, uh, the maximum dollar, but two years, maybe. So Uh, that fits in with their other contract structures, right? Because he has one guaranteed year and then he's non guaranteed after. Exactly. He has a player option, I think, for that year. Yeah, so that might eat into it, but they, I'm, I mean, I could take, uh, I don't have it actually, but uh, yeah, I think they could still, that is their next chance at major cap space. And, you know, if LeBron, you know, if he's going to maybe retires or maybe, I don't know if his son's supposed to come into the league then, but, you know, if that might be the time when they need to try to get their next star, uh, it's, it's fluid who might be available. Like, I think Beal could, well, I think his contract situation will be settled by then. Same thing with Harden. We'll see. That That's going to be very fluid who's available then. But that's just something to keep in mind. And, and then the other thing, though, is that I my gut tells me I think Schroeder might be able to get more. And the reason for that is, okay, yeah, this, this uh, free agency class, it's not looking as exciting as it did like two years ago when people were hyping it up right after the 2019 offseason finish and there was so much crazy player movement and then you saw the names for 2021 and people thought this is going to be the next big one Uh, not so much but it's still a very good market for point guards you got names like kyle lowry mike conley drew holiday lonzo ball maybe uh, chris dinwiddie goran dragic like there's a lot of good point guards uh you could kind of put oladipo in that mix even though he's not a, a pure point guard but I think if anyone's going to get paid, it's the point guards. And as soon as, you know, let's say Drew gets something, uh, by, he gets re-signed by the Bucks. maybe he gets something really big, that might just set the market for all these other point guards, including Schroeder. Yeah, I, the other thing that I would watch out for, I think the danger there is that there are all of these big-name point guards, but a lot of them play for teams that are over the cap and not in position to use cap space if they lose those guys. So, like... Utah cannot lose Mike Conley because they can't replace Mike Conley. Therefore, they're going to have to overpay to keep him, and that is going to help set the market for Schroeder and for Lonzo Ball, too. Lonzo Ball, we're going to have to do another podcast on him because that situation is fascinating to me. Before off of Toronto, just out of curiosity, what do you think their cap space plans are? Because it was clearly Giannis until Giannis resigned. I don't know what they're thinking about with their cap space right now. I have no clue. I couldn't tell you one name they might be targeting. I would think maybe by now something would have came out like a report. Oh, they're now they're targeting him or him. And I don't know who they're looking for. Um, Is it crazy? I'm thinking that they might as well just, you know, re-sign Powell and Lowry to a short deal and, 
you know, uh, run their cap space back later, but uh, and it, doesn't, it seems like they still wanted to use their cap space. So, but I don't know who. I don't know. I don't know who they need that fits in their plans. Is it crazy that I'm sort of thinking about a big offer sheet for Alonso Ball as sort of a Lowry replacement? No, I like that actually. It's. I think the best talent they could feasibly get this offseason, barring something unforeseen, is probably just re-signing Lowry and Norm Powell. Mm-hmm. But I think they they clearly seem to want to reshape their team in some meaningful way. I don't, and I mean, I hate to say this, I I've been one of the people pushing this agenda. I don't think it's actually going to happen. But like, just in case Kawhi isn't happy with the Clippers, <laughs> maybe keep the powder dry just to be safe. Well, if that's the case, if I'm Kawhi, I'd probably want to go to the Heat. I agree. I think I think that's the that would be the best situation out of all the cap space teams. It's the best chance to win. It's the best climate. It's the best organization. It's the team best suited to keep him healthy, just given their track record with fitness and with everything. I mean, I think he's going to stay, but, like, imagine they do draw the Lakers in the first round and they get knocked out. Like, at that point, it's kind of DEFCON 1 for the Clippers. and <laughs> It's figure your stuff out or, like, the, he might really be gone. Like, I don't want to get my – I grew up in New York and all my friends are Knicks fans. I don't want to get their hopes up, but, like – I don't think the Knicks would be out of the question in that scenario. Like, there's a lot of stuff in play there that, I mean, I think that he's going to resign, but, you know, who knows? Like, it's it's a fluid situation. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't get too... Uh, he's probably just going to... Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't get too conspiratorical, if that's a word, <laughs> on work, what Kawhi might do. Uh, I, I think he likes it there. Like, even, I, that just, he just seems, you know... It's hard to read him, but he seems happy. I it think. sort of seems to me like he's in like a form of active retirement where he's playing yeah. and like he's playing hard, but like he doesn't need anything now. Like he has his rings, he has his money, he has his accolades. Like now he can sort of just do whatever makes him happy, and it seems like being in California is what makes him happy. Agreed. I think that I think he said he just you know he's, he's going to get the extra money now. Just have to. The only reason he signed the two-year deal was so he can uh, get the ten-year uh, uh, year of the tenth year of service. So after the season, he can get the thirty-five percent max. He's, I think, that's a lock-in. I I mostly agree, but as somebody who hosts a podcast dedicated <laughs> specifically to player movement, I have to acknowledge the possibility that some funky stuff could happen. But I, I will say, I I do hope we get some kind of report that. The Heat are gonna try to get a meeting with Kawhi just because that would be a, they would they would really just even if there was no chance even if it was if there was something that already indicated okay Kawhi's not going anywhere, I just I would love to hear that they're gonna try to meet with him anyways. Remember in 2015 when Lamarcus Aldridge was a free agent and he'd done his first day of meetings and then like I think it was late the first day. Woj reports Lamarcus Aldridge is meeting with the Miami Heat and they did not have an ounce of cap space. And we're all looking around and like, oh my god, what are they doing? The Heat are like, I swear, you know, there's this great Batman quote, or I, I can't remember who said it, but when kids want to scare each other, they tell ghost stories. When supervillains want to scare each other, they tell Joker stories. I feel the same way about Pat Riley, where like, when GMs want to scare each other, they tell Pat Riley stories. Because once he gets involved, it's like all bets are off and you're terrified, yeah. you don't know what's going on. So well, never pull the heat out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. To his defense, they got Jimmy Butler without any cap space, so uh, anything's possible. Um, all that, but then there was the the Clippers in 2016. They had a meeting with Kevin Durant, and but that was even more crazy because they they were like their roster was already so expensive they couldn't even like fit him in a sign and trade that made sense. I I don't know I what they were the trying to accomplish was. in that meeting. <laughs> I believe the plan was they were going to keep Chris, Blake, and DeAndre, and jettison literally every other player, and it was still going to be meaningfully less than the max. Like, they were going to be able to offer Durant something like, I, I think it was like starting at 17 or $18 million, which was not close at that point. I, I, I don't remember the specifics, but I loved the fit back then. And I, by the way, I think if they had known where basketball was headed back then, they would have traded DeAndre, re-signed JJ, and then fit use those savings to fit Durant. But it seemed like Durant wanted Golden State. He got what he wanted, but 
we have gotten way far off track. We got to get back to Montrez Harrell. Okay. I have last see. trade to make. Um, this one I don't have a fully completed deal, but I sort of have some pieces in mind. Again, we go to Charlotte. Charlotte is the team likeliest to be interested in Montrez Harrell and be willing to give up value for him. Let's talk about sending Malik Monk somewhere else. A team I have in mind is Indiana because Indiana is quietly pushing up against the tax for next year. And they have a couple of key free agents to resign, including TJ McConnell and Doug McDermott. I think they probably want to find a way to save some money. I think if they were to trade Doug McDermott and take in Malik Monk, Monk is probably easier to re-sign. Wouldn't you agree? The, um, I think he makes more sense for the Pacers going forward. Um, I And then, you know, they got a... They, they just, they, yeah, I agree. I think they, they have to retool a little bit around because they'll have a lot of guards. They've got Aaron Holiday and Lamb and Justin Holiday off the bench. But going forward, I do like Monk off the bench for the Pacers. I think that's a great fit. How long have have the Sharks been circling on Aaron Holiday? How many good teams are waiting for Aaron Holiday to become available? Like, that's another thing. That opens up a lot of other trade doors for them where, like, if there's something else they want to do, I assure you there will be no shortage of suitors for Aaron Holiday. But I, I like... Was, I was a little surprised that he was available. I saw some reports that, that he's available, and uh, I had no idea if he was available for a while or not. I think he's a long-term starter. Like, I'm very bullish on Aaron Holiday's future. I, I don't get it either. But the Pacers have never really seemed comfortable fully committing to him as a core player. So I, I do think there's a good chance he gets traded. And I think wherever he goes, that team is going to be very happy with him. But I think this is a simple enough construction if you can make it work. Something to the effect, and you'd have to jigger some numbers here, but something like Harold to Charlotte, Monk to Indiana, Doug McDermott to the Lakers? Uh, I, You know, I think I'd rather have Harold there. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I, I, and I realize how well Doug's been playing this year. Uh, will he help the Lakers? Sure, but just from a from a value standpoint, I think uh, I just think I think Lakers could do a little better than Doug. Um, and uh, and then you also got to think, you know, you got to decide. He's gonna get a. Yeah, I guess he's gonna get a lot of big offers this summer. Do you want to pay him whatever he might command to? come off the bench and i don't know i don't i would look at it as a rental but then I, I wouldn't have done that trade in the first place i think the interesting note about doug mcdermott is that he's having the best season of his career but like also quietly having one of the worst shooting seasons at least from three he's at 37.5 percent right now like he's been well into the 40s in the past if doug mcdermott gets his the rest of his shooting intact. Like if he's shooting 44% on threes, which you probably would do on a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, like with everything else that he's doing now, I think that would be like a pretty sizable upgrade. Like I think he could be not quite as good as Joe Harris is for the nets, but like something in that similar vein where like he is genuinely shooting seven or eight threes a game for them. And he's doing a little bit of creation for himself. I think that's, that's I'm more bullish on his fit with Lakers and their willingness to pay him because, man, they have so little shooting for the long haul. You know, maybe I have to, maybe I have to watch more McDermott because I know he's been playing well, but I'm, I, I don't know if I'm – I don't think I've seen enough to go there. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's, like, you know, a pick-and-roll meister or anything. Like, mm-hmm. It's not like he's doing anything too fancy, but, like, he's attacking closeouts really well. Like, he's, take, he's occasionally dribbling now. Like, he's doing more than just the catch-and-shoot stuff where, like – I'd feel comfortable saying this is not Kyle Korver. Yeah, no, he's expand. It, it sounds like he's really expanded his game, which, which makes sense. Why? Uh, I didn't really understand the contract at first the, when the Pacers gave it to him, but the way he's playing now, he's definitely now he's living up to that number. Isn't that true of most Pacers contracts? By the way, I feel like most Pacers contracts either seem like gross overpays or gross underpays at the time, and then they normalize. Yeah, all the pay, all the recent Pacers contracts. Uh, you know, like Brogdon and Sabonis and Turner. I agree. Like they all got a, a lot of money. It seemed up front. Now you can you can definitely say for Sabonis and Turner, they're at least meeting that. Uh, Brogdon maybe. I don't I don't know if he should be getting north of twenty, but he's at the same time I don't think he doesn't deserve it either. Like I think he. They're all definitely playing up to it. You're right. 
he is a good enough player to get that money. It's just the health risk is so scary with him. Yeah, no, like, no, no, yeah, that's basically why. Yeah. I feel like the sort of team that should be paying Brogdon that much is a more ambitious team than the Pacers. Like a team that could really use his upside, like like maybe the Milwaukee Bucks, but we've been down that road one too many. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, what do you think of Aaron Holiday to the Bucks? I, what's what's the package? Is it the Rockets pick? Is it how are they creating the value there? Uh, I just know that I don't know how after you know the trading everything for Drew and Tucker, but they've got a point guard backup point guard void, and they have Drew there, so it just seems like I'm connecting some dots there. If they could do maybe the Houston second, which is going to be I don't know. Number 31, number 32, something like that. Like it's going to be very high in the second round, plus maybe another second or two of their own. If they could do that without really touching their rotation, I mean, maybe you have to send Bryn Forbes' salary matching, but like, mm-hmm. if you could do that without really materially impacting your rotation, I like that. My one downside is, can he function in a switching defense? I'm not quite as sure, and they clearly want to do that more in the playoffs. That's my one concern, but they really need young talent because other than DiVincenzo, I don't know who's going to be like helping Giannis in three years. So Holiday would be very helpful on that front. Yeah, uh, they could probably send. I think a sec. That's what my feel is that a second, like a good second, is Holiday's market right now. If they, if the Pacers decide to move him now, which um, they can surely get, maybe they can get a pretty good. Uh, decent role player so Forbes I could see him being nice for the Pacers I I think the I think the Bucks would rather keep him but maybe they could just trade one of their minimum players and Holiday would make a little more but I'm pretty sure they could still stay under the tax which they just got under from the Tucker trade if they can get Holiday Tucker and under the tax through this trade deadline like you have to look at this trade deadline as an unmitigated win for them right like that's two big additions, and they've saved a bunch of money, and they've delayed their repeater clock for another year, and they're going to be paying the repeater down the line. Definitely on getting under the tax. Definitely if they get a holiday. Uh, so far, it's been one game, but Tucker definitely looks promising for the uh, for the Bucks. Uh, I mean, they got to win it all this year. There's there's so many teams with everything on the line between the Clippers, the Nets, the Bucks, like. All three of these teams have to win the championship this year, and only one can win. And I don't know what's going to happen to some of the teams that don't. And they, like, I think the funniest scenario is, like, what if Philly wins it and Philly has two guys in their mid-20s and can compete for the next decade? It would almost be a little cruel. Um, And then the Lakers might just do it again. Like, the Mm -hmm. stakes are so high for so many different teams this year. It is one of the, like, we're going to get so many of the, like, super in-depth what went wrong stories from like, I know who the writers are. I'm not going to say who they are, but like, you know, the, the sort of like Joe Von Boa or the, the, um, the, the stories we got from the Clippers last year, like the locker room strife and the, after the fact thing, we're going to get like five of those from five different teams this year. I mean, when you trade all your picks for few players, the, the pressure is immense. I don't know how, I, you know, they can get, they can dive into, all the little things like, you know, when the Clippers, what went wrong, the leadership, lack of leadership, blah, 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 all that stuff. I mean, it just, I want someone to talk about the enormous expectations that the front office has set by doing these trades. And somehow the Lakers gave up the least draft capital for Davis and out of those teams, they won the championship. That is the if you really look at what some of these other trades have been, it is kind of wild. Now they gave up three very good young players. So I get it. But I think in hindsight, the Lakers probably got away with something there. Like they got to keep Kuzma who is right now, like having the best season of his career and is just maybe their third best overall player, probably fourth after shooter, but they, they kind of got away with something there, especially because Davis was probably the best asset of any of these guys that got traded. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I, well, the Lakers were the first one of those teams to make that kind of trade. And Paul George really reset the market, so getting yeah. it ahead of George made a big difference. When the Lakers first did that trade, I felt it was a lot. But then the Clippers made their trade, the Nets made their trade, the Bucks made their trade. Now I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? This is the world so we're in now. 
Yeah. I think that's a nice place to wrap things up, but just in general, give me your 30-second thoughts on the Lakers without LeBron and Davis. Like, where do you think their season's headed? Do you think they're going to be aggressive at the deadline? Like, what do you think the next week is going to be like for them? And what do you think the rest of the season is going to be like for them? My guess is that they'll most likely stay the status quo. Uh, I hope that they listen to us. I don't think they will. I think they'll keep Harrell, uh, which is fine. I think if they make a move, it's probably to move off of McKinney and Dudley just to get some more flexibility, um, which could help in a different but smaller trade. Um, and as far I think, you know, we already discussed, I think they'll, they should slide a little bit. I don't think they go past six, but I think they should still, once they get healthy, they should secure home court advantage. I agree with you. I don't think we're going to get the sort of blockbuster that we we believe that they need. I think they might look at something smaller, like, say, McKinney in a second for Wayne Ellington. Like, mm-hmm. just bring in another shooter, somebody who's been with the team before. Like, I think they could make a small move. I find the idea of, of a Herald trade unlikely, even with Drummond maybe coming. And it's a yeah. shame, because especially if you really want Drummond, then... I'm not sure you really should if you have Harold Gasol and Davis, but if you really want Drummond, you can make yourself more desirable by trading Harold, especially since the Nets have the financial advantage, right? Like they can pay him real money. They have the disabled player exception. They have the mid-level exception. The Lakers could only pay him the minimum. So if they want to get him, I think the way to do it is to make themselves desirable by opening up minutes. Trading Harold is probably the way to do that, but it doesn't seem like that's where they're going to go. Yeah, I you know that we could only we could only dream, Sam. But it, we're it's I'm you know yeah I think they'll just keep them. I mean it's a shame, but you know what the Lakers have LeBron and Davis, and it might be that simple that when they get to the playoffs, yep, having those guys is enough. It was last year, but that'll do it for us here today. I will be back with Colin later in the week. Go like, go subscribe, go review, go whatever it is you need to do to get people to listen to this podcast. Please do it. Yossi, where can we find your work? You can find me on Hoops Hype. I have some a lot of work coming up over the week with all the trade deadline stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Yossi Gozlan. That's Y-O-S-S-I-G-O-Z-L-A-N. And this week I've got a, well, tomorrow I've got a fake trades article. Uh, you know, since we're on the topic of fake trades, can I, can I drop, can I throw you one, a pitch preview me. of my article? Absolutely, pitch me. So this one, it might be illegal, but I just want to throw it out there. We can figure out a way to make it legal. Well, the only reason, so so it's a two-parter. First, so Charlotte has just over $4 million cap space available. So first, they trade up for a $4 million player. They get Patrick McCaw. Uh, He's just $4 million flat. Uh, Raptors, sure, why not? Not in the rotation, take him. Then, and and then, so this is how the Hornets get Drummond. So I think a there's been a very uh there's isn't there's been this framework that a lot of people have con- kind of figured out as a way to match salaries for Drummond, which is Zeller, um Monk and Biombo for Drummond. That matches salaries. But with the way, you know, Drummond might be headed for a buyout and the way Monk's playing, I think they'd rather keep Monk, at least, you know, either keep him for the season or trade him for something uh, else. Uh, so they can still match salaries if they use $4 million. Now, because the, they would have, they would be acquiring Macaw with cap space, they could still re-aggregate him that was in my a separate question. trade. Yeah. So if, if that fits, I, I think that's a good idea. And I think Cleveland does not need to get value back for Drummond. I think they're just trying to save face more than anything. Like, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he does get traded, which is seeming less and less likely by the day, that we get a fake top 55 protected second rounder in that deal just for yeah. the press release. So so, I, so for Charlotte, just, you know, they get a shot at Drummond without giving up anyone too uh, meaningful. The only thing is, I don't know how the league's going to feel about the Hornets trading for Macaw with their cap base and then trading him, re- uh, aggregating him immediately in a bigger trade. Um, I, I don't yeah. think that, like, that's not flouting the rules in the way that, say, like, Daryl Morey signing Nene to the ridiculous 
you know, unlikely incentives contract was. Like, I think that's just smart strategic use of your money. Like, yeah, I think the league would get in the way of Because the way I see it is that if teams can re-aggregate players that they acquire with their cap space midseason, then I don't see why the timing should matter. Just be, you know, just right. because you, they, he could, they could have signed someone for that four million earlier in the season. They, this, and they could just do that. Uh, but yeah, that's just the one Drummond trade I, I can still come up with that I think makes some sense. Otherwise, probably a buyout. I agree, and I hope that they don't do that because the moment <laughs> the Hornets trade for Andre Drummond, not only do the Lakers lose the chance at signing him, but it kind of takes the one logical on Montrezl Harrell trade destination off the board. Yeah. So I hope that doesn't happen. But and I doubt it. I doubt it would even happen, even if they hear this and someone likes it, just because. Uh, just uh, I, I just I just made it up because you know I think it's cool that the whole two-parter thought that was interesting. In general, I am a fan of rewarding teams for patience and smart management. So I like the idea of the Hornets saving their cap space into the season and using it in a productive manner like that. Like, I think the league should want to reward them for that, especially since it's a small market. I don't think they'd get in the way. I think that could get done. That's an interesting yeah. idea. Everybody look out for Yossi's story. To, is that coming out tomorrow? Yeah. Okay, cool. I can't wait to read that. There, I'm sure there are going to be a bunch of cool fake trades in there. But that'll do it for us today. Yossi, it was an absolute pleasure, and I will be back with Colin, <laughs> presumably in the next day or two. So take care, everybody. <laughs>